We're going to John chapter 6, the rest of us. John 6, and then also Matthew 13. Who can tell me what the second verse of the song that we just sang was? Not the chorus, but maybe, I don't know what they're all called, verses, bridges. What's the second verse? Anybody? Okay. John chapter 6 and verse 33. It says this, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, and giveth life unto the world. And then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Amen. We're going to possibly teach a little this morning. We're going to talk about bread making. It's not a cooking class, uh, although that's probably one of the few things I could teach you how to cook, is how to make bread. But uh, who likes bread? Anybody? Let's have some honest people in the house. Who likes hot bread? Okay. They tell us that eating bread while it's hot is not good for us, but for some reason it doesn't seem to stop us. Nothing like hot bread. And uh, a few years ago... Well, actually more than a few, probably about 15 years ago. Uh, while the Royal Show was on, the Baking Industry Association of Western Australia had a, a booth, a display at the Royal Show there in one of the pavilions, and they, were, they got people to volunteer to come along, and somehow I got involved in that, and we baked bread. We made bread rolls all day long in this pavilion, and they were free. Whoever wanted them could come and eat them. Now, you can imagine we couldn't keep up with the demand because once that smell began to fill that building and then make its way through the door and head out, and then the word got out that the bread is free. We took that bread out of the oven and people were lined up six and seven and eight deep waiting for the next batch of bread rolls to come out of the oven and we would pour them into the baskets at the front counter and You'd think they'd never eaten for a month or something. They would burn themselves trying to get a hold of the hot bread so that they didn't miss out because there's something about hot bread. There is something about hot bread. And bread is, bread is a staple in not every culture in the world, but in many cultures in the world. It forms a regular part of people's diets. And across this country today, there are probably a large number of people that had some toast for breakfast. Some of them might have a sandwich or a roll for lunch. And in Australia, at least in some parts of Australia, people will smear that black stuff on their toast that we call Vegemite. And uh, it's one of those things that when you have visiting preachers come from America, we like to get them to taste it because we enjoy the look on their face when they taste Vegemite for the first time. They don't normally enjoy that experience. But... Uh, we all like even you know there are some cultures where rice is the more the staple the more part of the daily meal some of our our asian cultures and across toward uh, the subcontinent india and that part of the world 
And then if you go across to, I'm no expert, but when you go across to Africa, some of you African brothers and sisters know that they have that stuff they make with the, the maize. And it depends what country you come from. In some places they call it sudsa, and some places they call it fufu, and in other places they call it pap. But if you've ever eaten that stuff, it's, it's, it's really dense. But that, it's, it's a staple. It's a part. And every, a lot of cultures have some sort of a, a staple that has a, a pretty high starch component. But even in the cultures where bread is not um, perhaps considered their staple, there's bread in their diet somewhere along the way. If, uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble here if I get this wrong, but if you go to the Philippines, Brother John, I believe they make pandasal, I think it's called, the little bread rolls they make in the Philippines. And you go to New Zealand, Brother David, they just fry their bread and make it even worse for you. But uh, or you go, go across to India, Brother Abraham, and there's chapatis and, and there's other places there's rotis and naans and all these different kinds of bread. So all of us, I hope, can relate to the idea of bread. Jesus often in his ministry used everyday things as examples to communicate concepts and principles that had spiritual impact. He talked about lost coins. He talked about lost sheep. He used the fig tree as an example. He, there were other things that he talked about. He said he gave them that pattern or that outline so they could understand something that was far greater and far more important than the fact that somebody had lost a sheep. The concept was about the love of God and the desire for the Lord that that one lost sheep mattered and that it was important and that it needed to come home. But he used that example to communicate that. And here in John 6, he speaks about bread. And he is communicating something to them that bread is, the bread that he is speaking of here is far more significant than what they may have had to start the day or what they had with their evening meal the night before. He's talking about a bread that brings life. A bread that comes from some heavenly bakery that they couldn't really understand, but he was beginning to communicate to them a concept that what he brought was more than natural sustenance, but that it would feed their souls and feed their spirits and would keep them alive not only in the present but into eternity. If you take the time to read all of John chapter 6, you'll find that it gets pretty intense because at some point after a while he says to them, except you eat my flesh. He said, this bread that I give is my flesh. And that was a little bit strange, but then he took another step and he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any part of me. And if you read the chapter, you'll find that that was too much for some people. Some people said, no, that just got weird, and they went home. They couldn't handle what he was saying. But when you read the scripture in context and you read the end of the chapter, you'll see that he says, it is the words that I speak. They are spirit. They are life. He wasn't promoting some sort of weird divine cannibalism where we would actually eat his body, but rather that he was the word who had become flesh. That what, what he was manifest, he was revealed as God's word. And it was that word that he was in flesh that would sustain our souls, that would provide sustenance for our souls. When he was tempted of the devil and the devil challenged him or tried to get him to turn stones into bread, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was saying there is a bread that is greater than what you get in your local bakery. There is a, a form of sustenance that provides more than just what will keep you alive for the day. 
I believe it was Job that said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary bread. Job understood that God's word kept him alive in a fashion that no Vegemite sandwich could. He understood that even though he'd had a meal, he'd need another one, but the word of God would sustain him through this life and on into the next. Job understood that concept. And we need to understand this morning that his word is still what sustains our souls. It is still the word of God that keeps us alive. Amen. And so if you will go with me to Matthew chapter 13, we're going to wander through a couple of chapters here and hopefully learn a little bit along the way. But in Matthew chapter 13, uh, it's a, this part of the gospel of Matthew contains quite a few parables. And Matthew 13 more or less begins with possibly one of the most famous parables from the scripture, and that of the sower and the seed. And if you read that, you will see, I know I've asked you to turn there, I'm going to reference particular verses as I go. But you'll see Jesus said that a sower went out to sow. And in that bag of seed he began to sow, the Bible describes four different kinds of ground or soil, although some of it barely qualified as soil, four different surfaces, if you like, that the seed fell upon. And how the surface that the seed fell upon uh, was responsible or involved in what the outcome of the seed was, of how... The stony ground, the, you know, we talk about the birds of the air, we talk about the thorny ground, we talk about the wayside. But in the mix, there was some good ground. There was some good ground that when the seed went into that good ground, it grew and it, it came to life, it germinated, and it produced fruit. Whatever that fruit may have been, whatever that grain was, that possibly the examples used in the scripture are a wheat and corn or a corn of wheat. But it spoke about the different kinds of ground. And... If you've been here for a very long, you know that I believe very strongly that you are not born to be a particular kind of ground, but rather you can choose to be what kind of soil you will be. We're all born in sin, but all of us have the opportunity to be good ground. All of us can say, I'm going to choose to accept the Word of God. I'm going to choose to allow it to mingle with faith in my heart and begin to produce what God wants to produce in my life. We have that ability to choose that. I don't believe it's some kind of soil lottery where you just, you just get born bad ground. I don't believe that for a minute. The Bible says whosoever will can come. There's choice involved in that word will. But in this particular parable in Matthew chapter 13, the emphasis is on the soil. The reputation or the quality of the seed is not brought into question. Nobody says, well, what kind of seed was it? Or is it good seed? Or is it bad seed? The seed was just accepted to be good quality. But the ground was, was what was making the difference. Good soil, bad soil, hard soil, thorny ground, and all the different options that were there. And you can read that, and Jesus had to break that down for them later on in that chapter and to tell them what it means. But a little further on in that chapter, we get to verse 24. And it says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. 
So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in the field? From whence then has it tares? Or where did these tares come from? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servant said unto him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? Do you want us to tear the tares out of the field? And the, the owner of the field said, No, because while you gather up the tares, you might also tear up the wheat with it. You might damage some of the good that is there. He said, Let them both grow together unto the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so we started out with a parable where the ground was the focus. We moved along to another parable where suddenly it's the seed that's the focus. We had good seed and we had tares. The ground in this parable isn't discussed. It's just assumed that it's okay. But we recognize that there is the potential for good seed and bad seed to be sown into good soil. And seed is very important. And getting back to the subject of of bread making, if, if you learn nothing else today, you might learn something about how bread works. But when, when I was being trained as an apprentice, obviously they were going to teach us how to make bread. We knew that. But they decided that it was important that we also understood where we got the stuff we made the bread from. How you ended up with a bag of flour. It didn't just magically... Bags of flour don't grow on trees. You don't go out to the field and harvest a bag of flour. But you go out to the field and you harvest wheat. And so they took us to the place where they refined the wheat. They took us to the mill and they took us through the process of how the wheat was examined and graded and processed and all the different things that I can't even remember because it's a really long time ago. But what was interesting was not all wheat is the same. It's not all the same. It grows differently determined by its environment. In fact, in different countries, the wheat is different because of the environment. In Australia, wheat is considered to be, and you might say, well, you're Australian, you're just biased, but... The wheat that grows in Australia is considered one of the best in the world because of the climate. It has the right balance of sun and rain and protein that is found within the wheat. The wheat that grows in countries where they don't get a lot of sun and they get too much rain, like maybe the UK, Sister Pam, their wheat's quite weak. It's not very strong. But then there's a kind of wheat that grows in Canada, which for one reason or another is too strong. It's too strong. You'd have a hard time making bread out of it. And so what they do is they take these different grains and they mix them. They mix the strong with the weak and they, they, to come up with the right balance. And uh, we, I don't believe that you know, we can be too strong with the Word of God. The, the seed that we have is good. It's strong. It's, it doesn't need to be examined or tested. We know that God's Word is true. But we need to go back to it sometimes to see where we are beginning our process. Because if I get a nice bag of flour that's made out of wheat that I can't use, it might look like flour, it might feel like flour, but you're not going to end up with the right product at the end of the day. Amen. So we've got to know what it is that is sown in our fields. The first parable talks to us about what kind of soil we are. The second parable talks about keeping an eye on what gets planted in that soil. So there are stages that take place here. And you go a little further in chapter 13... Yeah, I can actually follow this through. It's a little bit like a bread-making process. Because when you get to verse 33, the Lord said, Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, or we would say yeast, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was 
leaven until it was all mixed through and it, it was doing what yeast did. And so we've gone from the ground to the seed and now we're actually using the product that's grown. And when it says that she put yeast in there, it's, there's obviously more than just flour and yeast. There's some water and stuff going in there to make that product. That's how it works. And then we'll come back to that in a minute. But then when you go across to chapters 14 and 15, there are two accounts here of Jesus miraculously feeding a multitude where he took bread, broke it, and miraculously took what was a very small amount of food and fed thousands. In, in chapter 14, I think it is, he feeds 5,000. And in chapter 15, I think there's another 4,000 where he started out with a very small amount of bread. And so what we see here in this process, if I'm allowed to maybe draw some parallels, is we first need to be concerned about what kind of ground we're going to be. Then we've also got to be careful what's being planted. There has never been a time in history where we have access to more, uh, what's the word I'm going to use, variety of ministries. You can go online, you can go to bookstores, you can drive down the street. There is plenty of different seed being sown in the world. But we are responsible for what is planted in our soil. I am responsible for what is planted in this house. But you are responsible to examine what I plant to start with. Don't just say, well, the pastor said so. My brother Simon said so, so it must be right. I do my best to, to stay on track, but you are responsible to say, hey, I'm not sure about that. What does the Word of God say? But you're also responsible when you go out of here, what else gets sown into your soil? Because you might get some good seed, but you might also get a whole lot of different other seed as well. And so when the things begin to grow, there might be some good wheat in there, but there might be all different kinds of other stuff going on as well. And when you read the parable of the sower and the seed, the, the seed that fell on thorny ground, when it grew up with the thorny plants, the plant survived. But it didn't bring forth fruit because it was choked by the other plants. It was competing for nutrition, for water, for sunlight with the other plants that were in the same patch. And so even though the plant didn't die, we might say, well, the plant lived, but it didn't bring fruit. And so it did not achieve what its purpose was. And there's a reason the Scripture warns us about guarding our hearts. There's a reason that the Scripture warns us about, you know, not just believing everything that we hear. We have to be careful of what kind of seed goes into our hearts. But then the next step is, what do we do with that seed? When we take that seed and we make it into meal, like the lady that made the, the, the loaf of bread or made a, a, probably more than one loaf, I doubt she only made one at a time, but when she began to make that bread dough, what was she, she added to it. She added yeast to it. She added something to it for a particular purpose. And we'll get that to that in a minute. But then because if you follow the next step into chapter 14 and 15, and I hope I'm making sense, we see what Jesus can do when you give him what you've made. When they brought... Whether, it was, whether we talk about the little boy when he brought his lunch to Jesus and as limited as it was, when he put it in Jesus' hands, suddenly it became miraculous. 
Suddenly a few bread rolls that weren't very impressive fed thousands of people and there were baskets of leftovers. In fact, there were more leftovers than there was in the original lunch. That's God just demonstrating, I can not just meet your needs, I can go beyond that. He, didn't, he wasn't running out of bread rolls and then said, how many have you got left? And oh, there's three more, Lord. So he took that last roll, split into three pieces just to make it. No, he had leftovers. That's the power of the Lord. And so when we choose to be good soil, and I'm going to go back through this process a few times this morning. When we choose to be good soil, to receive good seed, and it brings forth fruit, and then whatever that fruit is, whatever we add with that, we give to the Lord, what we might feel is small and insignificant. He can take it, He can break it, He can multiply it, and He can use it to impact more people or situations than we think is possible. Amen. So let's take another step and go to chapter 16. Gets a little bit interesting here. The beginning of chapter 16 says that the Pharisees came with the Sadducees, tempting Jesus, challenging him, desiring that he would show them a sign from heaven. And then the Lord goes on, he says, you know, you look for these signs in the weather, said you can tell by the color of the sky at night what the weather's going to be like in the morning. He said, but you can't discern what's going on in the spiritual. You can't discern what's going on around about you. And then as when they left him, they departed. I, in verse 4 it says, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. I don't imagine they were very satisfied with his response. Lord, show us something supernatural. He basically said, you can see the signs around you, you're just too blind to see what's going on. And they probably got a little bit offended, and they went away. And then in verse 6, the Lord says, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven, or the yeast, of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. He said, you need to be careful about their yeast. And the disciples didn't really understand, because the Pharisees and the Sadducees weren't bakers. They didn't make bread and they were thinking in the natural and they said to themselves in verse 7, it's because we haven't got any bread with us that he said that. And the Lord says, he gets a bit frustrated. He's like, oh, you have little faith. I've got to break everything down and explain everything to you. And then he says in verse 11, how is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread that you should beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees? And you read on in another passage, it talks about the, the hypocrisy being the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. So again, there are options here. We have the option of what kind of soil we're going to be. We have the option of what kind of seed we're going to allow to be planted in that soil. And then we have the option of what kind of leaven we're going to add to our bread dough. Because the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus said, be careful, stay away from that. But in chapter 13, he said that the kingdom of heaven was like when a woman took flour or meal and she added yeast to it. And so there's a positive application and a negative application. And the thing about yeast, and some of you have heard me talk about some of this before, is that it adds life to something that was lifeless. It is something that is a living thing that is added to something that has no life. And so it's not obvious straight away, but give it a little time. If I was doing a demonstration, I'm glad. I'm, you know, I thought about getting a 
whole bunch of hot bread rolls this morning and bringing them out, but I thought I would have lost everybody by the time everybody would be worried about getting a bread roll. But if I set up two bread mixes out here this morning, put a bag of flour in each one, added some water, a bit of salt, and put yeast in one but not in the other and then mixed them for 10 or 15 minutes till they were finished and took them out and put them up on a big table or a bench in front of you, you couldn't tell the difference between those two. They'd look exactly the same. Big, white, blobby, sticky stuff, bread dough. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference just by looking at them. But wait a little while. Because one of them has something living added to it and the other one doesn't. And so after a little while, as that dough begins to get warm, the one that has the yeast is going to start to grow. It's going to start to rise because there is something in there. And so we've got to be careful. What is it that we put in? Where do we draw that light? Is it the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees? So often in the scripture, yeast or leaven speaks of sin or corruption. But in Matthew 13, there is a positive application which tells me that there is life that he wants us to have, that is good. But there are also other options that we can add that he does not want us to have. And usually, with time, what we choose will be revealed, just like that bread dough. Because you know one of the hardest things about yeast is once you've put it in, it's really hard to take out. And it just starts. And it starts doing this thing. And some of you have heard me tell different stories and if you hang around you'll get to hear all my stories multiple times so that's just a blessing but back when I was learning my trade there were times when you work night shift that you're a little bit sleepy or maybe not paying attention and you would forget if you put an ingredient in that was supposed to be in there and just like those two bread doughs I'd be looking at that dough going I don't remember if there's yeast in there I got 50 kilos of bread dough in a mixer and I'm going, is there yeast in that? Because you couldn't tell by tasting it. You couldn't tell just by looking at it. And if the weather was a little bit cool, it just didn't, they're just two big blobs of bread dough. And so I had to make a decision. Do I throw it out and start again? Or do I trust myself that there's yeast in that dough? Because you didn't have time, you had to get moving get the bread ready for when the shop opened up and so I made a decision in my wisdom that no there was no yeast in this dough took that 50 kilos of bread dough wrestled it out of the bread mixer and carried it out to the wheelie bin out the back of the bakery because if you don't put the yeast in it's, it's useless put 50 kilos of bread dough on the wheelie bin closed the lid and went back to work and made it all again but as the sun came up on a warm North Queensland morning. And that dough that I thought didn't have any yeast in it actually did. That dead thing was resurrected. The warm sun came on the green wheelie bin and the beasts began to grow. And I went out to take some rubbish out and the bin lid was lifting. And this big white monster was growing out of the bin. So we get, you punch it, knock all the air out of it and put it back and put the lid down again. And half an hour later, up comes. The, because once yeast is going, it's almost impossible to stop. You can kill it, but it, you've either got to poison it with salt or put it in an oven and kill it. And what we add to our lives 
It's a lot easier to make the good choice early than to fix it late. We choose to add the things that God wants at the beginning. What we get from that will be what God wants. But when we make bad choices, anybody made a bad choice before? We've got some honest people. Some of you just made a bad choice by not putting your hand up and being honest. But when you, have you ever made a bad decision and then realized later on and gone back to try to fix it? How much harder is it to try to go back and fix a bad decision than it would have been to make a right decision at the time of choice? But because we're human, we don't all make the right decisions. And sometimes we deal with the consequences where we make that choice and that yeast begins to work. We go and we try to knock it down, but it keeps coming back. If you want to know what ended up happening with the yeast, ask me afterwards. But No, somebody that I worked with took it and threw it over a bridge into a river. But um, i take that bit off the recording, but that's actually what happened. But, uh, once you add some form of life, it's going to begin to grow. You see, when the woman added the yeast to the three measures of meal, the Bible says that it leavened the whole lump. You can't just say, well, I'm going to... This is the thing about our lives. When you make choices, they affect all of your life. You can't just have a little piece over here. You can't make a bread dough and just have yeast in the little bit on the left and have the rest without it. When you add it, it begins to spread. It begins to grow. It begins to consume. It begins to feed, and it will take over. So we've got to be very careful. We think, well, I can, you know, when we think about giving our lives to the Lord, sometimes we want to do that in pieces. Lord, I'm going to give you this piece, but I'm keeping that piece. I want you to be Lord over this part, but I'm still controlling this part. You're never going to win that way. You're never going to have the victory. You're never going to see the power of God reach what it wants to do. It doesn't work. It's either all or nothing. And all of us are going to add something to our dough, if I can use that parallel. All of us are going to add something to it. It's just the question is, what will it be? What will it be? Will we bring forth that which pleases the Lord? Will we bring forth that which is pleasant and desirable and the Lord wants us to have to glorify Him? Or will we add the leaven from things like the scribes and the Pharisees? Corruption, sin, so many different things. You see, Leaven corrupts because it, it, it produces fermentation. It causes things to become alcoholic, basically. Leaven is used to make beer. It's used to make other forms of alcohol because it brings corruption. That's the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. That's the leaven of the world that we live in. But the leaven that is like the kingdom of heaven adds new life. It brings life to something that was dead. It adds a bread dough... If you've ever made bread, when you make bread and it's got no yeast, it's like putty. It's like Play-Doh. It's, it's, there's nothing in it. It's just dead. There's nothing there. But you add yeast. And the thing about yeast is you can't see it when it's mixed in. You can't say, oh, I can see the yeast. No, you can't see the yeast. All you can see is dough. But give it a little while and you'll see what's in that bread. Give it a little time when the sun comes up and the heat comes on. And that thing begins to rise. And, you know, sometimes we can, be, we can be so foolish as humans sometimes. We think we can hide things. You know, you're trying, I've, oh, my life is all good. I've given everything to the Lord. And behind you, there's a wheelie bin with the lid coming up. And you turn around and you go, oh, push that thing. 
close the lid and like, thank you, Jesus, everything's wonderful. And up comes the lid again. But you know what? The thing is, you know what happens to that bread dough? The more you do that, the longer you do that, the more powerful the yeast actually becomes. It actually gets richer and stronger and smells more. It does. Have you ever seen sourdough bread? Or It's got that strong smell. That's because it's been handled for a long time. Sin is the same. You can knock it down and you can keep closing the lid and you can keep trying to stop people from seeing it, but sooner or later the smell's coming through. And people may not know what you're doing. You may be doing a really good job of hiding it, but when Brother Moses is hiding things and I come down around him, he's like, <laughs> looks good. Sharp young man. Dressed in his suit this morning, looks great. But if he was hiding something, sooner or later, <laughs> you smell a bit funny, Moses. Sin cannot be hidden long term. You'll get away with it for a while. It may deceive your brothers and sisters. May trick the pastor, that's not hard. But you'll never trick the Lord. Doesn't matter how many times you slam that willy bin lid, it's coming back. It's coming back. And so I want to have the kind of life in me that He wants to have in me. And some of you have heard me teach this before, but when you get back to the Old Testament and you look at the feasts, you see, God used everything for a purpose. There's, you know, when, when the Word of God was given to us, there's, there's nothing in there that He just put in to take up space. I didn't go to the publisher and they came back and said, oh, you need another thousand words. No, no, everything is there for a reason. Everything. And in, in the book of Exodus, when, when the Israelites came out of slavery and they came to the first Passover and, and then the feast began, that... The Feast of Weeks is what it was known as in the Old Testament. We know it in the New Testament as the Feast of Pentecost. They didn't know it as Pentecost in the Old Testament because Pentecost is more of a Greek word. They didn't speak too much Greek in the book of Exodus. But the Feast of Weeks was 50 days after the Passover. Seven sevens. Seven groups, of seven lots of weeks. And if I could get off track really wild here, but when you look at the the principle of jubilee in the Old Testament of how every, that there was a certain period of time when slaves were to be set free, when there, the, these things brought victory and deliverance. And there's a reason for these numbers and what the Lord did because 50 days after the Passover, they had to have the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. And Sorry, but my brain has gone in too many different directions. At the beginning of that process, they would bring the first sheaf of wheat that they harvest, and they would wave that thing to the Lord. It was the, it was the sign of the beginning of harvest. And then l- later on, when they got to the end, they would have that feast, which we now know as Pentecost, which was symbolic of the end of that harvesting process. And they would, they would take their sacrifices, and every, every feast had rules and directions of what was supposed to take place. And nearly every feast that Moses was given instructions for, the bread was unleavened, flat bread, no yeast. But when we get to this particular feast, harvest or Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks as we know it, they were to make the bread with yeast in it. So they had these two, there's even a measurement for how much flour was supposed to go into the dough and all that stuff. And so they'd make these two big fat yeast loaves and they were to take them with the sacrifice and wave them unto the Lord. You think our church services are strange? 
Imagine if you came in Sunday morning, I'm up here waving a couple of loaves of bread and a dead lamb. Pentecost, not that strange after all. But they were to wave those things and there's a reason that the Lord specifically told them to put yeast into those loaves of bread. Because he knew the, the symbolism or the type that would be that some thousands of years later when the day of Pentecost would come in Acts chapter 2 and that nation of Israel had been spiritually dead for, something, for hundreds of years. And that, so in, in a certain sense as a nation they were like unleavened bread. There was no life. But come Acts the second chapter, 50 days after Calvary. 50 days after the Easter weekend, we'd call it, the resurrection. 50 days later, in perfect sync with the Old Testament, he poured out his spirit onto a people that were spiritually dead. And life entered into the church. And the church was born. And that process of seed finding good soil and bringing forth life and bringing forth something that could be waved to him in worship came to pass he brought life into something that didn't have life that's why in john 10 he said that he had come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly he doesn't want us to just survive he wants us to thrive i'm not talking about the the all these crazy doctrines of god making you rich and famous i'm talking about thrive spiritually he wants us to be strong he wants us to be benefited he wants the church to make a difference Nowhere in the scripture do you see God finish with the little bits. He always improves upon what he's done before. And the church of the last days is not meant to be some weak, crippled thing that can hardly make it into heaven and fall across the line, but it is supposed to be, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Amen. The church is not meant to be some historical society where we get together and just talk about what happened hundreds of years ago. We do that to affect our faith in the right now. And if we can't find things that parallel in the present with what we read about in the past, we need to go to God and say, God, give me a little bit more of that life. Give me a little bit more of that leaven that would, that would leaven my whole lump and make me into what you would have me to be. Amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Finish up here. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. When he sat with his disciples, and what we know now is that we often refer to as the Last Supper, Paul is giving instruction to the church in 1 Corinthians 11. And this is what he says in verse 23. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And we use this passage usually when we're preparing for communion. We're not having communion this morning, but I want to bring something else out of this. The bread that he took 
in the upper room that night, he broke it in his hands. And he handed it out to his disciples, those that were with him there. And he, he made a very clear connection. He said this bread is, is symbolic of his body. And we know with the privilege of looking back at the gospel that not long after that, in the next few hours, he would go to Calvary and that body would be broken for our sin. But through his death and through what he was willing to let them do to him, his life has impacted the world for the last 2,000 years in a fashion that was not possible without his death, burial, and resurrection. No matter how good Jesus was, as God manifests in the flesh, without his death, burial, and resurrection, it would not have made the difference that it's made today. And when you read on in 1 Corinthians, I think it's... We're not going to turn there, but you can read it later. Just, you know, I'm not... In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it talks about... It says that we are many... But we are one bread. So the Apostle Paul said, that's not even good grammar. We are one bread. We would say we're one loaf of bread. or we're, But he said, we are many. We're diverse, he said, but we're one bread. And if we are that one bread, what does that mean? That means we've all got the same kind of soil, same seed, same fruit, same yeast. Everything's added to us. What's the purpose of that? Because he wants to take us and break his body and distribute it. Stand with me if you would this morning. When that little boy came to Jesus, somehow it was communicated to the Lord that, that this kid had some bread and some fish, and he offered that to the Lord. The Lord took that which seemed so insignificant. My wife ministered a few weeks ago about giving God something to work with, and he took that bread and he just began to break it. God wants to use this church to impact this city more than we think can happen because of our size or our location or how many people are here or what we do and what we don't do. But it requires that we take what we are and say, Lord, we're your body. Break us and distribute. That little boy's lunch fed a multitude. So the only limits are, will we give it to him or will we hold it to ourselves? I want you to just lift your hands for a moment and worship the Lord. We're not going to open the altar this morning, but I just want us to present ourselves to Him as a body. Say, Lord, want to be good ground, Lord God. Want to have the seed of Your Word produce life in me. Lord, want to add Your Spirit, Lord, not the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees or the things of this world, Lord, but Your life, the new life that You bring, Lord, and help us, Lord, as individuals this morning and as a body, to be willing to place ourselves in your hands, to be broken, to be distributed, Lord, like that little boy's lunch, Lord, that we would make a difference beyond what we think is possible. Lord, your people in your hands, Lord God, can bring about your will and your purpose, we pray. Lord, we just worship you this morning, Lord God. We worship you this morning. Lord, help us to get rid of that old leaven, Lord, the sinful ways of our past, Help us, Lord, to purge our hearts, Lord God, I pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.